I love singing those old hymns that give us a very, very beautiful and profound view of, of the gospel and of uh, joy in Christ. And I think um, that idea of looking ahead to the mansions of glory, endless delight in Christ that we anticipate, and yet we begin to enjoy it now. And part of enjoying that is together being in the Word of God and uh, rejoicing in what God is doing amongst us together. And uh, I just want to highlight some things that are coming up next Sunday because I want you to be aware of it. And I got some really special events. First of all, you already heard, we're celebrating John Klobuchar's ordination. Uh, Let's remember this. John, we didn't, this is not like the kind of thing where you mail in for a certificate and you get a little, oh yeah, you're ordained. That's not, that's not how Clayton Valley Church operates with that. Uh, We took John through with, along with a council, essentially the the church um, called a council. Uh, The council was uh, other pastors and shepherds that are either um, a part of our church family here or those connected with our church family in some way. And they took John through a series of, of evenings where they would question him in different areas. It took about six months or so. And then after that, the council recommended to the church that uh, John be ordained for gospel ministry. And of course, his focus is in uh, the chaplaincy. And so as a result of that uh, decision by the church, he is ordained right now. Um, but we're going to now celebrate that this next Sunday. And, uh, and it's going to be exciting to see what's happening. You know, John's also just become uh, the new chaplain of Bay Area Chaplains. And we praise God for that as well. So he's one of the chaplains now, a part of that ministry, along with Harold Albert, who's also an important part of our church family. And uh, the reality is, is if you're an inmate in the Contra Costa County jail system, it's the Bay Area chaplains that are going to bring help to you. And we're grateful to be a part of what God's doing in that way. Um, So in light of John's ordination, Bruce McLean, who is our our district rep for the CARBC, and you're going, what is that? That's the the association that we're a part of. Uh, Our... our our association of churches is about 1,200 churches nationally. Uh, Bruce oversees California and encourages churches in, in, in our state. So he was a part of the council. For John, he's going to be here next week, and so you'll get a chance to meet him. But in addition to all those things, we have Dr. Nicholas Ellen coming to speak to us again uh, next week also. And so he's going to be speaking in the, at the 9 o'clock hour on understanding and dealing with manipulation and then uh, on, during our morning service, at this time, he's going to be talking about cultivating self-control. So you're not going to want to miss that uh, either. So we look forward to all these things uh, coming up. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy that. So uh, you know, I don't know about you, but for those of you who are parents, uh, there was a question that kids can give, especially when they're younger. And the, the question is usually phrased along this line. Yeah, but how do you know? Oftentimes it's something that you've told the child, you know, to help him or her understand something, and it's kind of a given to you, and yet they want to know, how do you know? How do you know that? And I recall a time with, uh, with Sophia, our middle daughter, and uh, we were living in L.A. at the time, and, and she was probably about six or seven years old, and for some reason she got really, really scared of tornadoes, like really afraid of tornadoes, did not want to have anything to do with tornadoes, and I, I was able to say, hey, honey, you know, we live in, in California, we don't have tornadoes. And she's like, you mean we don't have any tornadoes ever? I'm like, well, like, are you saying that could never happen? Wow. How do you know? Yeah, I had to admit to her, I didn't know. And by the way, that week, there was a small tornado, like, on the freeway somewhere that made the news. You know, you're like, come on, you know, <laughs> trying to assure this kid. 
But, but that, that question of how, how do you know something, uh, that's an ongoing question, uh, you know, throughout the ages, whether it's, it's the philosopher Anselm, you know, who, who kind of took this whole thing of how do I know I exist? Is life an illusion? Is it a dream? Is it, is it real? And, and of course, he, he kind of did, did all this work on that, and he came to that, that conclusion, right? I think, therefore I am. You're like, wow, you know, heavy. But, you know, he, he's asking those questions decades, centuries even later. You know, you've got Whitney Houston singing in the 80s. How do I know? You know, how do I know if he loves me? Uh, there's scientific disciplines dedicated to answering that question. How do you know? There's a whole branch of, of thinking in, in, in philosophy, you know, epistemology, the knowledge of knowing. And, and you're, you know, what? We're talking, yeah, people study how do you know what you know if you really know it. And if you really know it, what else will you know? And you're kind of like, really? If you had philosophy 101 in school, you remember that part, right? Or you're just kind of like, come on, I got to go. This much I know, I got to go, okay? And these are, these are the things that people deal with. And then when we consider our life before God, the question arises in a much more significant way. And it, it comes up like this. How do I know I really belong to Jesus? How do I know that I'm rescued? How do I know that I'm safe in his arms? How do I really know I'm on the king's highway moving forward by his grace to eternity in heaven with him? How do I really know? And of course, some today would tell you, well, the way you know that you're Jesus, you belong to Jesus, is that by your success or by your material prosperity or by your health and your wealth and your influence. Others would say, no, you know that you belong to Jesus when, when you, the life road that you have before you is just made totally smooth, free from disappointments, free from trial, free from pain. But, but these are not the things that the Bible teaches us at all about that question. How do I know if I belong to the Lord? And when we ask questions about this, we're really getting into the biblical issue of assurance. You know, what is assurance exactly? Assurance is the sense that God is, is for me. He's not against me. That his love has me safely in his saving grip. And nothing, including my sin, including my failures, including the circumstances around me, will ever separate me from him. That's assurance. Assurance comes about when we find ourselves in God's word and the Holy Spirit takes those words and opens our minds to see the truth of who God is, of what he's done, who Christ is, and all that he's accomplished to benefit sinners like me and you. And that's the very thing that the Apostle John is unfolding for us today. Um, the false teachers have come through the, the, the first century church and, and they've espoused some sort of secret knowledge. They've, they've uh, sold these lies to God's people that you can know this secret stuff and Jesus wasn't really divine. And, he, you know, there were these, and we talked about it before, some of these kind of beginnings of Gnosticism uh, whereby you could uh, separate your body from your soul and if you did something evil, well, that wasn't you, that was your body and all kinds of other crazy things. But the reality is, is through that, there were believing people in the churches who were deeply scarred by those teachings and the practices that came from those teachings. And they were asking that question, am I really in Jesus? How can I know? Who can we trust? 
are we really saved? I feel uncertain. I feel scared. I feel tired. I feel fed up all at the same time. And maybe you resonate with those kinds of thoughts right now. And if that's the case, what John has to share with us today is for you. Because John now writes to tend to these wounds, to feed them the truth, and to to build them up in grace and in gospel assurance. And and so as we look at this section, many have referred to the the, the book of 1 John as being uh, a series of tests for genuine faith. And that is true, absolutely true. These tests are given by the apostle John to expose false belief. Absolutely. But at the same time, and even more pressing in light of the purpose of the book and the context of the book, these tests are actually here to instill deep, sound, solid assurance in the hearts of believers. Go ahead and open, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. And because this is the word of God and we want to treat it with respect, would you stand and follow along as I read? 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word, which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Lord, we come to you now and ask that you would open our hearts as we open your word together. We pray that your spirit would take what he's written here to transform us, to change us. We ask, Lord, that that there would be workings of you within us that would cause us to lay hold of assurance in you in a deeper way for all those who are truly yours. And we would pray, Lord, that for those here today who have not come to you or perhaps believe they're in you but have not demonstrated those things by what's described here that you would bring the, the, the urgency of repentance and turning to you and a new faith and new life in Jesus. Uh, we ask, Lord, that all of us together would know you for real. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seat. So today, the Apostle John, as I've said, is presenting us with the question, how do you know you know Jesus? Or another way to put it would be, how can we lay hold of assurance more and more? I think that's the emphasis. These are believers who are struggling with that. And so he wants to bring this to them in a clear way. 
And essentially, as we look at this section, we're going to find there's, there's two ways that we lay hold of assurance more and more. One is this, that as we lay hold of assurance more and more, as Jesus' daily life lights and guides your daily life. So as Jesus' daily life lights and guides your daily life, again, he begins by asking that question in verse 3, how do you know? How do we know that we've come to know him? It's interesting how the word's built here. So the, the, the word he's using, uh, there's two kinds of w- ways of referring to knowing in Greek. One is, is the word oida, which means to know kind of factually, the way you would know that two plus two is four. The other word, gnosko, which is what he uses here, means to experientially know, to know personally. Uh, the way you would maybe uh, y- your friend or or your loved one. There's a, a sense in which you know this person. And so he's building this. He says, how, how do you, we know? And then the next phrase, we have come to know him. He takes that word gnosko and he puts a prefix on it that intensifies it. So he's building here. How do you know, for real, relationally, that you actually fully do really, sincerely, truly know Jesus? And... Uh, and he's, he shows this, these aren't just theories to be held to, right? This isn't kind of like this abstract sort of thing, like, yeah, I kind of know about something. No, he's saying personally him, knowing him. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful things about biblical Christianity is that we're not just talking about knowing about something. We're talking about a person, the Lord Jesus, walking with him, knowing him. And he describes then, well, how, how, how do you see that? And, and notice the end of, part of, of verse 3. We know that if we keep his commandments. The idea of keeping is to have watchful care over something. It's, it's kind of like you're just on edge. You're like, you want to make sure this thing is kept uh, in, in the same way that you might uh, have, you know, some sort of rare piece of, of of pottery from the you know, Ming dynasty in China. You don't want to take that thing and just put it near the front door and throw your change in it. Right? That's not what you're going to do. You're going to watch. You're going to keep. You're going to look at this. And that's the exact same way he's saying these commandments of God. When they're given to us, they're precious. God's commandments aren't something to be tossed aside. They're not great suggestions. They aren't tools for you know, better uh, living today you know, to get what you want out of life. No, they are God's commands. They reveal his person. They reveal who he is. And they also show us how to live in light of who he is. We're reflecting him. You know, if you, if you think of the Ten Commandments, for example, it's not simply, you know, you shall not murder. It's God saying, I am the giver of life. And as you follow me, you also will be one who upholds life given. It's not simply don't steal because it's wrong or it's bad. No, God's saying, I am the one who gives. I'm the overflowing giver. And you're going to reflect me in how you live. So these commandments are precious. And, and he goes on in verse 4 to say, so if someone says, I've come to know him personally, and doesn't keep his commandments, these precious things, they're a liar. And the truth is not in them. Now, we've seen this phrase used before. You'll recall uh, the last time we were together, there's sort of a progression of those who say they follow God. And at that time, those people were saying, but I don't, I don't sin anymore. I'm done sinning. I've graduated. I've moved on. And the progression through what we discussed last week was this person is lying to other people. Then they're lying to themselves. And lastly, they're calling God a liar. So here, 
he picks up that thread again and says, hey, if you're saying, I know God, but you don't, watch over, guard, keep the commandments God's given, then you're lying. But then notice verse five, but whoever keeps his word, again, treasures, looks over his revealed word, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, when we see that, I think a lot of times we, 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 we look at that and we go, okay, does that mean that believers can become perfect in this lifetime, like we just stop sinning? And the answer is clearly no. John's already told us that. You recall again last week, if anyone says that they have no sin, they deceive themselves, they're a liar, right? So that's, that's not it. The key to understanding what he's saying here in verse 5 is that word perfected. Uh, the idea of, of something being perfected is, is really the idea of something becoming mature or complete or being brought into the fullness of its purpose. Uh, that's the idea there. Uh, you might, you might uh, translate it the end of something. In other words, if you, something was created for this end, for this purpose. And, uh, and that's, that's what he's saying here. So instead of uh, describing um, this as, as the idea of achieve perfection right now, he's saying, no, uh, when you follow his word, when you keep and watch over his commandments because they're precious to you, what happens is now you are demonstrating the love of God. And, uh, and, and we want to ask that, well, okay, well, is this love of God? What is he talking about? Is it God's love for us, our love for him? Believe me, this is discussed greatly <laughs> when you read uh, the commentaries. I really do believe the context here would tell us that this love of God is our love for him. Because the whole thing is talking about following him, keeping commandments. Certainly, we're going to see later that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So God's love for us is described later in this beautiful epistle. But in this section, he's saying, yeah, when, when you keep or watch over or treasure the word of God, your love for God is being brought into that place of uh, completeness more and more over time. And, and that's, that's something that's a, a beautiful thing to see. Uh, and and when, when your supposed love for God um, is very much incomplete, it's when that declared love for God produces no deeds of love toward others. So the way we treat one another is, is very much the way in which the Apostle John's calling us to measure our love for God. It's really easy to say, I love God, but we show that in what happens amongst us together with one another. Uh, notice verse 6. He clarifies further. The one who says he abides in him. What's he saying there? That in him phrase means a lot. It, it's, it's filled with beautiful theological freight because he's describing there union with Christ again. Abiding means to remain. Maybe you'll recall in John how often Jesus would refer to this idea of abiding in him. Um, go ahead and, if you would, flip back to John 15, verse 4. John 15, verse 4. 
And as you head back there, remember Jesus is now talking to his disciples and he's preparing them for his departure, but he's also telling them what it means to really live life as, as one who follows him. And, and look what he says in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's he saying there? You need to remain or live or dwell or or exist in me. And the command there is to abide. Notice the fruit that comes is a byproduct of abiding. Uh, We've mentioned this before, but oftentimes I think we're running around going, I want to bear fruit. Go bear fruit. Bear it, bear it, bear it. Go, go, go. You know, and we try hard to bear fruit when in fact, that's not the command. Bearing fruit happens when we abide in Christ. And... uh, This idea of being in him is something that Paul later on will expand greatly in Romans chapter 6. You might recall if you were with us several months ago, we spent a bit of time there. He described what it means to be by the Holy Spirit brought into union with Jesus. Uh, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, go ahead, flip a couple chapters over to John 17. John 17, and we'll just briefly look at three verses. Starting in verse 21, notice he's praying. What does he say? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are, notice, in me and I, in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's all language of union. When you see in us, in me, it's connection. Um, We find it again in verse 23. I in them, you in me, Jesus continues to pray, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Wow. Powerful statement. Verse 26. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them. And notice how verse 26 ends. And I in them. This is all the language of, of union with Jesus. And it's something that, that is an amazing thing to consider. Uh, and you might think, well, wait, what, is, what does union with Christ actually mean? And, and I think it's important that we see this. Uh, John Murray summarizes it in this way. He says this, Union with Christ is a very inclusive subject. It embraces the wide span of salvation from its ultimate source in the eternal election of God to its final fruition in the glorification of the elect. It's not simply a, a phase of the application of redemption. It underlies every aspect of redemption, both in its accomplishment and in its application. So when you think of union with Christ, it's not just a part of your salvation. It's not kind of a little thing. It is the overarching reality of what it means to be saved. You have been made one with Jesus. And I, I love seeing this because when you think of the Apostle Paul, a lot of times you know, we think, well, Paul came up with this thing. Wow, look at Romans 6. No, Paul got it from Jesus in John 15 and 17. He learned it from his master, and the Apostle John, similarly here, is describing the same thing. So we find that by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides. It's the same language Jesus uses in John 15. Same term. 
The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, what does it mean actually to, to walk? Um, and that really has the idea of daily life, ongoing, everyday life. That's walking. And, and uh, as he talks about that, he's saying there's, there's a constant way in which as I go through my daily life, the life of Jesus, the way Jesus daily lived, now becomes uh, not only the aspirational goal of my daily life, my being in him brings about this fruit of emulating him in my daily life. So that when I encounter trials or difficulties or, or, or whatever it would be, I'm responding not out of my own resources or, or, or responding in order to gain what I believe is you know, what I want, my outcome. It's no, I'm trusting him, I'm walking with him, I'm seeking him, and I'm reflecting him in what I do and in how I live. And uh, that's how Jesus' daily life is, is lighting and guiding my daily life. And it seems to happen most often, I think we see that most clearly when we're actually under the most trial. Don't you wish just trials would be gone sometimes? We've got to realize something. That's how what God uses to, to demonstrate our need for him and his power and then the reality of what he's doing in our lives. And I think sometimes we, we, you know, we want to see, see God's power, you know, and we want to see it in something that's you know, clearly a, a miraculous manifestation of something. You know, if, I, if I'm asking uh, God, what am I supposed to do? I've joked about this before, but, you know, I want a stone tablet in the living room carved by the finger of God. Chris, the next thing you should do is, whoosh, you know, there's like smoke still coming off the last letter as I look at it in the living room, right? And that's just not what God's going to do. Why? Because he's giving me something better. He's giving me his word. His spirit indwells and guides. No, th- those, those moments of, of God's mighty work happen in, in the astoundingly wonderful, beautiful, ordinary moments of the Christian life. You know, it's that moment when, uh, when my wife um, provokes me and I am actually able by God's grace to respond in truth and love. Not that ever happens with Janet and me, obviously. No. It comes in those moments when I'm at work and, and, uh, and maybe uh, I've labored and worked hard on something and I'm criticized in such a way where I feel like, who are you? And I could respond in kind or I can respond in grace. It comes in those moments when there's a person who has a need and no one else knows about it but me and I can meet that need and share the grace of Jesus. By the way, that happens around here all the time. I, I sometimes wish I could just post the slides of what people in our congregation do to care for one another. Um, but the reality is the people that are doing that don't want anybody else to know. <laughs> so I have to respect that. But you need to know these things are happening. There are people picking up others who need to get to doctor's appointments and can't get there, and they're making it happen. There are people who are bringing meals to those who need help with that, and they just want to make it happen because they love them. And because of Christ's love poured out in them. Uh, there are people who are interacting with, with those who are in desperate need in their you know, commute to work, um, in, in, the, in the course of, of being at the store and walking through a parking lot and seeing someone who needs help. 
Uh, there are people coming up the hill to this place for help, and God's giving them material help through, um, through your generosity as well as sharing the gospel with them. These things are happening. And they're not just happening out of an empty, obligatory sort of like, that's right, because that's what we're supposed to do. No, they're happening because the Spirit of God is saturating the hearts and minds of his people with the truth of God and empowering the people of God to carry out the work of God. And that's something to rejoice in. And that's something that also gives assurance. It gives us growing assurance that we really belong to Jesus, that we're really his. And he is more committed to taking us faithfully home to him than we are at times. And he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that work. So how do you know you know Jesus? First, as Jesus' daily life lights and guides your daily life. But the apostle goes on to give another way you can know that you know him or another way that you can lay hold of assurance more and more. And you can do that as Jesus' love for you increases your love for others. And I think that's what is an astounding thing to see when he says in verse 7, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the words you've heard, and you're going, what what are you talking about? Well, long and short of it is he's talking about love. We find that out later in the epistle. We'll get there. (laughs) But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about love, Jesus' command. And Jesus even would say in John, back to that section of John that we were just in, hey, I'm giving you this new commandment, that you love one another, not just in the way that you'd have them love you, No, you'd love one another, he says, Jesus says, in the way that I have loved you, which makes it new and goes far beyond anything that they've heard before. That idea of loving God and loving others had been present, well, clearly in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema and other places. It was was something that they they understood. But Jesus expands it and deepens it and, and, and brings it further out to say, no, not, don't just love others the way you want them to treat you. Love them now the way I have loved you. But now the Apostle John does something, and at first read you're kind of going, really, what are you talking about? Because he says in the next verse, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. And I'm going, you know, you're kind of like, well, what is it? You're not writing a new commandment. You are writing a new commandment. What? Make up your mind. Are you trying to confuse me? You know, you kind of, those thoughts go through the mind. But what he's really doing here is he's, he's utilizing paradox. And and he's, he's not referring to new in the sense of time, but more in, in the idea of this is a vibrant, fresh command. It's, 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 it's something that impacts the heart in a way that's fresh and living and alive. It's new, is, is the description here. And, and then he explains it further because you're asking, well, in what way? You know, how is that? Because the idea of the beginning there is the beginning of the time that you came to know Jesus. It's not, verse 7 isn't talking about the beginning of all time or creation. He's talking about the beginning. When you first came to Jesus, there was this command, and that's not new in that sense. But now, in verse 8, this new commandment is, is new. And look at the rest of the verse, because he tells us what he means by this. Look, which is true, there it is again, in him and in you. How is this commandment to love new, now I'm giving it to you. And notice, you're in him. 
He's in you. He's talking about union with Christ again. And he's saying, because this overarching reality that you've been placed into Jesus, you've been intimately connected with him, because of this union, now this command to love is new. New in what way? It's new in that it's, it's in a refreshing new era. It's new in that it's carried out by the Spirit's indwelling power. It's new in that it breaks forth in the upcoming reality of the kingdom that's been inaugurated now, this already element where you're participating in his kingdom and the not yet of the consummation when Jesus returns. It's new in that as you carry it out, you are being empowered by the Holy Spirit with resurrection life from the age to come. It's new. And it's not new. But it is new. And so he says... This is this command that, that is, is teaching of, of the new age that has dawned now in Christ. And then he describes it even further. Notice the end of the verse. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Um, what's he saying? The darkness we're going to see later in the book is really the idea of the world that we're in. It's a dark world. And yet, notice... The darkness is passing away. What does that mean? Well, because when salvation comes, the lights are turned on. You can see it. What was dark before becomes light. And and it's in you because of what Jesus has done, because of what the Spirit's doing. And the darkness is, is passing away. Notice it hasn't passed away completely yet. It is passing away. It's in the process of, because again, we're, all, we're in the already, but not yet, right? We're looking ahead to that day, but it isn't complete yet. But we're longing for it. We're anticipating it. We're, we're ready for Christ's return. The millennial kingdom whereby he will rule. And all wrongs will be removed. And every injustice righted. Every tear Every, every sorrow. When, the, when he rushes in the new heavens and new earth, there's going to be that time when we're just going to go, it's all now perfect and right and glorious and good. And Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, reigns. Now, as we've heard before, he's reigning now. And yet, we're in this process. And so what happens is within each of us, as the spirit invades, when we come to Jesus, this darkness is is encounters the true light of Christ. And so it's almost like, you ever, you ever see a, uh, you know when, when a blackout happens in a major city? I, I love it in the movies whenever it happens too because they always have that sound effect. It's, I don't know if it would really sound like that because I've never really seen one. But when the city is there, you hear this, chung, 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 and all the lights go, do, 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 right? And it's black. That's what happened in the fall. When our parents, Adam and Eve, fell into sin, that's what happened to the entire creation. But now, what John's saying here is when Jesus invades, light comes back in, and it's like, blink. And it's almost like when the power comes back on, and it's light, 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 light. It it grows until the city is lit. That's what he's saying is happening. In the heart of every individual Christian, when the lights come on, now this process of the already but not yet We're looking ahead to that day, but there's light emerging. 
And the darkness is being driven out by light. And so as he describes this for us, we, we, we gain a perspective on what's really going on. And, but then he, he wants to qualify it, right? He wants to tell us, okay, how do you know this is happening in you? And, and, and look at what he says. Verse 9, the one who says he's in the light yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Huh. So you can claim to have this light. Yeah, I've been invaded by the Spirit. The lights have been turned on. I am one following Jesus. I'm a, I'm a child of the light. And yet, a brother or sister rubs you the wrong way and you're like, that person. I'm done. I can't believe they're so fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Disagreement, tension, disunity. Again, we consider the last 18 months we've been through. (laughs) Have we been fighting for unity or what? And again, praise God, Clayton Valley Church, thank the Lord for what he's been doing amongst us. Uh, We have folks here from all kinds of persuasions on all kinds of issues, and yet by his grace, we have been clinging to him for unity. And that's been a beautiful thing to see, and it's not normal. Again, it's a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the work of the gospel and Christ living in each of us that it happens. But we wrestle, we struggle, and there are times where we're kind of like, really? They said what? They're doing what? There can be a lack of love for others. I think uh, when we, when we look at this hatred, you know, what, what, what is hatred? What, what does he mean exactly by hatred? And, and the, the Greek word literally just means this, to hate, to dislike strongly with the implication of aversion to or eventually possibly hostility toward someone. And he's using graphic language there, but when you think, okay, what does he mean by hate? Well, remember now, he's, he's writing it with a sense of contrast, right? Light, dark, life, death, Truth, lies. And here it's hate and love. And so this idea of hating is the opposite of love. And, and I think Paul really describes this so well when, when he writes in Colossians chapter 3. He, he describes what the opposite love looks like. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, when we were in this passage not long ago, He says what? Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. What's that imply? Your brothers and sisters are going to rub you the wrong way. It's not easy. So often I think, you know, the reason why we see uh, so many hoppings from church to church is someone gets offended, and then they're gone. Well, I'm out of here. And it's like, well, but the... The passages, the Bible, the, the, the Spirit of God has written here, we need to bear with one another. Notice he says, and forgiving each other. Why does he say that? Because we're going to offend each other and we have to forgive each other. We're going we're to commit wrongs against each other. We need to forgive one another. But then he doesn't even stop there. Paul goes on. Whoever, that includes everybody, whoever, has a complaint against anyone, that also includes everybody. 
You know, because I think a lot of times we'll say, well, wait, hold on. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. You know, and Paul just kind of wipes that out. Uh, whoever has a complaint against anyone. And then what does he do? He points to Christ. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then he says, beyond all these things, put on love. And he doesn't merely say that because that love creates unity. Notice he says, put on that love which is the perfect bond of unity. Uh, That perfect, again, is the same idea. Complete, full bond of unity happens in that way. And when we live like that, that's when we really understand what it means to walk in him. Uh, He's very emphatic here. As one writer put it, light and love go together. They just do. And, and sometimes when the darkness is the greatest, that's, that's when we, we you know, are pushed around and, and, and we can lose sight of this. Um, animals uh, such as pit ponies, those were the, the horses they used to use back in the mining days down in the coal mine. Uh, it was said of them that um, if they were kept underground, eventually they could lose their sight because of the darkness. And in the same way, when light is ignored, it, it ceases to hit us in the same way. Our, our conscience uh, can actually become dulled by that. And, and if we lack love for, especially brothers and sisters, certainly it would be everyone, but especially brothers and sisters in Christ. If we lack love, we need to realize we're being called here to ask some serious questions. So when God redeems us, he, he, he changes us from the inside. Um, he gives us new, new uh, frameworks for living, new desires. And the reality of our forgiveness in Christ causes us to, to over time, grow more and more and more to become a more forgiving person with other people. And that's the question we should be asking. Am I a more forgiving person? I think additionally we need to think of this walking in the light is, is whether or not there's a kind of a constant ongoing pattern of sort of, sort of a self-absorption, right? Is, is that kind of our mindset constantly? It's always kind of about what about me? What about what I want? What about what I'm doing? Or are we growing in becoming uh, more aware of others and how to care for them because of what we've received in Christ, Notice verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's that word again, you're dwelling in. Now it's not Jesus, it's the light. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the light of the world. So you're, you're dwelling in him now and there's no cause for stumbling in him. You're, you're not gonna be tripping in the dark because you can't see. Because you're walking with Jesus, his love for others, his love for you in particular, is now causing you to walk in a way that demonstrates that love. Verse 11, he just hits home this idea. Notice it's repeatedly over and over again, darkness, darkness, darkness. It's said three times there. It's very emphatic. It's kind of like a, like a refrain in a song. It just kind of comes up again. You don't want to, oh, not again, not again, but it's three times. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness. So that's the place where they are. They walk in the darkness. 
And they don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. There's a blindness there. And yet this person is completely convinced that they are um, walking with knowledge. But their knowledge doesn't translate into love for others. And so the Apostle John is saying here, you need to ask yourself the question, are you really in the light or not? And then for others who have been hurt deeply by all the false teaching around them, he's, he's saying to them, realize you are one who is in him. You can have assurance. You can know it as you continue to allow Jesus' love for you to increase your love for others. Uh, there are scientists that uh, like to study cell phones, believe it or not. That's what they do. Uh, personally, I'd be like, really, you want to do that? But that's what, that's what they're, they study cell phones and they learn how to, you know, look at data on the phone to find out more about people. And of course, we kind of walk through a life of digital data and we leave traces of digital data everywhere. Uh, and, uh, and that's one way they track information. But there's another group of scientists that study cell phones, but not so much for the information that's internally in the phone. They actually look for uh, information that's on the phone, which kind of spooked me. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, why? Because I don't want to know what's on my phone. <laughs> I mean, scientists from the University of California at San Diego, they ran a series of experimental molecular swab tests, and they were actually able to find traits from different cell phone users. Um, one scientist took it, described it this way. What they, what they study reveals types of soaps, lotions, shampoos, makeup, food, such as vegetarian versus meat eater or spicy foods, types of drinks, medications, even material clothing that someone uses. And Dr. Pieter Dorensen, professor of pharmaceutical sciences, um, says this. He says, we can tell if a person is likely female, uses high-end cosmetics, dyes her hair, drinks coffee, prefers beer over wine, likes spicy food, is taking uh, various medications. And uh, some of the swabs they could take could actually test for materials that were over a month old on the phone. And um, it was used for um, a variety of settings. Sometimes criminal investigations wanted to use this technology. Uh, Other times uh, there were kind of like security measures put in place. They wanted to use this technology. But the idea is they can create a profile of a lifestyle of a person just by what's on their phone. And you know, when you think about it, everything we do leaves a trace of some kind. And the question we're being asked here is, our lives, what trace are they leaving? Are, are our lives leaving a trace that Jesus' daily life lights and guides our daily life? Is the way we're living leaving a trace of as Jesus' love for us is seen by us and apprehended more by us, it increases then our love for other people? How are we living and how is that shown? And then most of all, as we see this, if there is the slightest trace of those things in your life, lay hold of assurance. You'll notice it is not that Jesus' life perfectly in every way now, is seen in my life at all times. No, again, we wrestle with sin. It's, is there any growth? Um, Is there any increase of love for others? Realize that is the Spirit of God at work in you. And as you look and see those things, be encouraged. 
because it means you really can know that you belong to him. You're his. Those things wouldn't be there if you weren't. Let's learn to grow in biblical assurance. John's going to talk to us more about that in the weeks ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see your light, your truth. We pray that, that your love for us would truly increase our love for others. We ask that your daily life would light and guide our daily life, day in, day out, moment in, moment out, that we would know that we're in you, that you, you would cause us to rest in you more fully, knowing that it is not our love that causes you to love us. No, it's because you first loved us that we love one another. We thank you that, that all of these things are in a response to what you've already accomplished in salvation. And so we look to you to bring assurance as, as we need that, and that you would also bring challenge and conviction where we need that too. We, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.